We're too much stuck into not only algorithms, but this SEO trash cultural heritage. And it has made the quality of the content very shallow. Welcome to the Thriving on Overload podcast. I am Ross Dawson, a futurist and entrepreneur fascinated by how we can excel at dealing with the universe of information and the author of the book, Thriving on Overload. Every week, we share insights from information masters on how they transform today's avalanche of information into insight, foresight, and better decisions. For more goodness on this topic, be sure to visit thrivingonoverload.com, where there are wealth of resources to help you thrive, including all podcast episodes with transcripts, excerpts from my book, and if you are really intent on amplifying your information productivity, the Thriving on Overload interactive course, which helps you develop a personal information plan you can immediately put into practice. And be sure to sign up for our weekly Tips for Thriving newsletter if you want to optimize your information productivity. If you enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe and give a rating or review on iTunes. It helps others interested in this topic to find these resources. Now, on with the show. On this episode, we learn from Robin Good. Robin is a writer, speaker, and change agent focused on content curation, learning, and collaboration. I've known of his work for probably 15 years, maybe more, and he has been throughout an exemplar of excellence in curating useful content. You can find more on his work at robingood.substack.com or on Twitter at, at robingood. In this episode, he shares insights on questioning authority, finding trusted advisors, focus sharing, information design, and far more. Keep listening to learn from Robin's useful and entertaining insights. Robin, it's awesome to have you on the show. Thank you, Ross. It's such a pleasure for me as well to see you again and to be in such a position to be able to discuss the things that are really close to my heart together. Indeed. So for the very long time I've known you, it's certainly more than a dozen years, you have been the master at content creation and curation. So this is where you are thriving on overload. You're, you're in a world of information. You're finding what is valuable for yourself and for others. So I and uh, my listeners would love to find out how you do it. What's the starting point for you? How, what's, what, what's the key skills? What are the key capabilities for you in being able to uh, curate this world of uh, information? I think it all starts basically from curiosity and with a strong attitude against authority. These are the two key elements that I think uh, made me who I am. That is, by questioning deeply authority, I connect immediately to information, news, propaganda, or misinformation, fake news, whatever you have classified in your head. And that is the ability not to take anything for granted, no matter where it comes from, who it comes from, but questioning everything and going into asking, is this really so? Or I'm just taking it at face value because Ross just said it or James just said it. So I have this attitude, kind of a challenging, provocative attitude toward whatever has been coming my way. So that I want to see whether the things that I learn are really the way 
they're presented or they are somewhat different. And I have to say, no matter how crazy I will sound, that most of the times things are not the way they look and they're presented. That doesn't mean that what you say or what others, authors that I read, write, are not on the spot, but many of the basic ideas that we have about how things work, how life is, how, what's the cause of this or that, are not really the ones that we are being presented, especially through education, through school, university. I've been uh, very rebellious against the education system because I think it does limit our ability to question things. I mean, we're taught from the very first day to be right, to have the correct answer. If you don't have it, if you question your teacher, you're going to be in trouble. That really stifles your creativity, your ability to explore, to be curious. And I think it's so precious for somebody who wants to deal with information, tell stories, explore how life is. And so it all starts with curiosity and with a little provocative attitude against uh, whoever says they know it all. That's fantastic. I mean, in many ways. I mean, I know you as a very anti-authoritarian and, and, and questioning and provocative. I, I absolutely, I, I'm also a big believer in, you know, schools just stifle anything which is wonderful within us. So I wonder how people can nurture that, not just a curiosity, I think that, as you say, that's a starting point, that, that ability to question, you know, really question everything. So should we something we should nurture and you know, always look for in terms of trying to always uh, doubt the authority or expertise? I think that the key thing is not just to be passive on whatever information comes to you from your friends, from your teacher, from your guru, from your trainer, and ask many questions. So my fencing teacher may tell me, you know, don't hold that position where I feel so good in striking my adversary. And, uh, but I don't know exactly why. So I ask exactly why is this? So why cannot it be this way? Many times we bypass these asking questions because we feel we may sound stupid or not able to understand things and we want to feel immediately at the level of our teacher or master. Instead, I think that by questioning things, by asking questions specifically, you really allow yourself to understand better. Because many times we take for granted that the reason for something is not the actual reason for that something, but we make it up because we didn't ask. And the other thing we can do to nurture this curiosity, uh, questioning ability, is to try to see our perspective on things that is try to understand why we like or we don't like something and actually explore that thing, write about it, think over it, discuss it with somebody else, not with the idea of winning, but of clarifying what you have gotten into your head. So I think these, these two elements may help that nurturing. You know, that's fantastic. And, and might like to come back to that. But I, I suppose there's in a way this leads us to sources. 
So we have any number of uh, sources available in the world, and we would obviously try to find some sources that we trust more than others, but without getting locked into a particular set. So how do you find information? What sources do you go to? What are the places you find the the good starting points or the, the, the useful resources in your searches? Number one, do not trust algorithms. This is the first key to find sources and good information. Not that the algorithm is always wrong or brings you bad stuff, but just to be very skeptical of the algorithm and it guessing what you want is a good starting point because most of the sources of information now play that game of the algorithm of, you know, serving your personalized information and sources and discover new stuff. But I really am deeply skeptical about that ability, at least in, in my situation. I don't think the algorithms they've put out uh, really got to know me that well to do a good job. So my key source of information is newsletters. These are my trusted source of information are people who write newsletters. I have replaced altogether mainstream news of any kind, and that includes any super commercial entity that produces news. Uh, could be something maybe, maybe even at the level of Wired or TechCrunch, which is not traditionally considered mainstream news. It is for me now mainstream news. Uh, so I look for individuals to which I apply very strict filtering criteria about their credibility, their trust, their intent, their goals, their prejudices. And I try to maintain a list of trusted advisors that continuously updates over time because even people do change. And people that I thought were extremely insightful and so inspiring and wonderful for me, all of a sudden, uh, disappear into nothingness because I discovered they have some big blind spots which they never expose. So I cannot trust them anymore. Or if I catch some of the new trusted advisors putting out links or resources that I see, they have not explored deeply, they have not verified, and they're just adding them to their newsletter to make it richer, bigger, I completely lose the trust in a matter of seconds. And I do write to them and I say, why do you do this? Why? And I see so many don't have the integrity to stand up to what they do. So it's very rare and difficult to find truly valuable, trusted advisors, but these are my sources. So the recipe is do not trust algorithm. Do not trust mainstream media for the most part. Search for individuals who you have strong affinity with and to whom you can apply strong filters about credibility, trust, integrity, the way they conduct their work, the way they show their sources, how much they're transparent about the way they conduct their business and their lives, and maintain this list while updating it. Because your trusted sources, your trusted advisors, as I call them, are the key source to discover new sources. So working on the individuals for me is the road uh, to make sense of my jungle exploration throughout life. And I've had been changing and refining this list uh, 
all the time. You certainly have been inside my list, have, have not gone out, but there are many who have entered and have disappeared over time. Right. So I suppose part of the next step is to, you, you mentioned making sense. And so for me, that's part of the thing of taking all of these pieces and pulling that into some kind of a synthesis in your mind. And so that involves taking the bits that you like to be able to piece those together, to organize them, to structure them. So are there tools or approaches that you use to capture and to uh, distill and to connect and store or distill value and make sense of them? Let's be totally practical. I would play very low tools. I don't think we have really tremendous tools to do what you just described, but I think our approach to distill and capture things does make the difference. So the first practical action about advice is to take notes and to take notes in a timely way. That is not bring a notebook with you and a pen in your backpack and then something happens and then you say, okay, later when I stop, I'm going to take note of this. That note is not going to ever take place because by the time you stop and have a rest, you won't have that clear thing in your head. So timeliness in taking notes about what happens around you, what you just noticed, what you saw beyond the surface uh, in a discussion among people in front of you, what came up while you were walking needs to be noted now. Ah, it may break your flow, it may break your sunset, it may break your love story, but that's the way you capture it. You gotta take it the moment you feel it. So... That's why there are not many people doing that. That's not why there are many trusted advisors out there, because there are not many people wanting to take notes the moment they come to them. It's just not, we're not just trained to do that. I wish why they didn't do that to me in school, because that's where I should have taken the habit. It just came naturally afterwards. And I noticed that when I take those timely notes, it does make the difference. And when I do a second actionable advice thing, something better happens. And that is when I manipulate that note, because you could take thousands of notes and leave them there, close the book. Tomorrow you open the book, you take another note and another one. But the magic happens when you go back to the book to do something with that note either to revise it, to expand it, or actually to act upon it because you want to put it to use for something, for a collection, for an article, for a guide, to make a presentation, to discuss a matter of importance with a friend. The moment you go back to it and you handle it, there is some learning taking place. There is no learning taking place when you take the note. There is a realization. There is an opening, a perspective, a light you see in the distance. The moment you come back to it, you your eyes adjust and you start to see something taking shape and having a bigger and deeper meaning. So handling it in whichever way you want to do it, rewriting it, discussing it, expanding it, searching for more, does help making it yours. And then I think the third important thing, at least for me, is to create something with it that is of value to me that excites me to create. So if it is something that relates to philosophy or intellectual ideas, maybe write an article or some deep reflections on it. If it is 
a tool or an application for a tool, find other similar ones and bring them together so you could build a toolkit or, or, or a manual of methods to do something. If it is an artist or an expert telling you something, go out and search for other artists and bring together other ideas that conflict and synergize with those. All these manipulation from the very first note or strike or idea uh, enriches so much your ability to see, explore, and to report to others. So the final action, ideal, is always to share with others this information. And keeping it all inside your brain doesn't help very much, and sometimes it leads to loops that don't have really a, a great exit, a great realization. The moment you, you put it out, you may find surprising uh, conflicts that stems from the judgment of others uh, or ways to look at things that you had not considered. So the final expression of distilling Organizing, uh, uh, filtering information takes place when you share it with others. And the more focused you are in sharing toward a specific goal and a specific tribe, that is what you would call in the preceding world uh, target group in the advertising world, makes things valuable. Because you can't just share your realization for what they are in an absolute terms. I think they increase in value significantly the moment that you target your exploration to a goal, to an audience that there's some specific need, some specific expectation that is driving your information overload. It may apply and may uncover wonderful new ways of doing things depending who you talk about this to. And so I'm a, a full supporter of entrepreneurs, of curators, of knowledge managers, to not try to be everything to everyone, though sometimes it's good to be, but to try as much as possible to define who you're talking to and what deep problems are you trying to solve so that you really help unique, valuable information for that direction and those people to emerge, which is not easy. You are listening to the Thriving on Overload podcast. If you truly want to increase your information productivity, then check out the Thriving on Overload interactive course. It is designed to significantly enhance your information practices and habits, guiding you through creating your own personal information plan so you can excel in a world of overload. Go to thrivingonoverload.com slash course to find out more. Now back to the show. All right, so you've got, let's think you want to create an article or a toolkit or a manual or whatever. And so you have some starting ideas. You've captured some ideas. You want to be able to create something of value. So what are the intermediary steps? Is there a structure? Do you know, is there a particular software you use? Do you, do you simply just lay out all your ideas in a document and then revisit them and, and pull them together in your brain? Or are there any tools or ways of storing or, pull, or connecting things that can be useful in building those, uh, the things which we can share? Well, as you know, there are a million ways to do this. And uh, today's, uh, there is the emergence of so-called frameworks, which make it uh, very easy 
or much easier than it was before for a lot of people who don't have experience in building up content to do so by following a certain predefined structure, sequence of elements. So I have to say, I don't like to marry any specific solution. I'd like always to be on the front and to fail a few times so that I can explore new stuff. So in my specific case, uh, I will explore new frameworks, new structures, copy and try to go better than my best competitor or friend, uh, as I would prefer to call it. That is, uh, I don't stand still on any specific solution to build content, but yes, my, my sequence is basically to collect information for a very long time on a topic uh, before writing about it so that I have a lot of sources, a lot of elements that I can play together. And uh, in general, one popular, well-functioning approach is the one of bringing up what is the problem first Clearly, what what is the frustration that I want to overcome or that I needed to overcome? Explore the different opportunities and roads, see their plus and minus, and eventually identify a possible road or recount the story of the road you've taken to overcome that obstacle, which tools you've used, what procedures you've taken. And that is one, but again, I feel completely a failure in saying that this is the structure that should be used to present some information ideas. I mean, there are really a million different ones. It could be a personal discussion you have inside your head with yourself and you split yourself into personality and you have them discuss one against the other and you can be the best devil's advocate in both defending a topic and trying to dismantle it. I mean, that's a wonderful approach to use or having a face-to-face confrontation with somebody who thinks the opposite of that topic. We're too much stuck into not only algorithms, but this SEO trash cultural heritage, which has totally taken away the ability to think in creative ways about the way you can write and explore and present information has really made uh, most of the content available out there a copycat symbol, uh, a copycat uh, tradition, and it has made the quality of the content very shallow in many situations. So, so these are these are all cognitive structures. You know, the, these are ways of thinking. But are there any software tools, either old or new, that uh, you find useful? or worth considering and being able to assist in that journey of piecing together the those elements into something which is structured and valuable to others? Yes and no. Yes, in the sense that there are simple tools and there is no clear winner that definitely help you in taking notes. They can be Apple Notes, they can be Evernote, they can be Obsidian, they can be Notion, Rome, and all those many other note-taking tools that have come out uh, in recent times. But then to structure the information and present it, uh, we're still at the level of Google Documents or Notion with blogs. That's all we have. There's still bloody linear 
up and down documents where there is a sequence of stuff. I'm very tired of this. I don't understand why nobody complains about this. I think the tools are not yet there. They're starting to appear, but it has taken such an incredible long time for people to see that to organize and present information, you need things that are not there in Word and Google documents like be able to compare things, be able to see the overview and the detail, but not just through the index in better ways to have a super view of what the contents are and where new ones or older ones are and the type of contents that are there and zoom in and zoom out at the speed of light. There is very little in the form of nonlinear document, of uh, multidimensional documents that help you explore information from the synthesis part to the smallest detail. That's what we lack. So we're seeing some interesting new things coming up. Uh, what could I mention? Let me mention, for example, X-Tiles. X-Tiles is a new app. Maybe it will be dead in a few months or will become leader in the market. I have no idea, but they're exploring ways that allow you to organize information a different way. I have... Um, done an experiment on it. So you can actually Google and see what you can get out of these more structured uh, thinking tools. Uh, And you can search on Google for earning trust in business. I've created what I call tentatively a super guide, which is not a linear document about trust inside business. Go check it out and see where I think we're headed. Fantastic. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree that it's, it seems very strange in 2022 that we don't have very good tools for, for thinking. It's, uh, it's, uh, the promise was there. We, 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 you, you and I and other people saw, well, you know, just, just think of what we'll be able to do, but, um, we're only just beginning to get there. Though that is promising. The last few years are, are showing promise in the new tools emerging. Yes. No, no, no. I was just thinking of Ted Nelson and his wonderful vision. I think he's still, yes. uh, still up to date what he saw so many years ago. Well, I was going to say, when you were describing those tools, I was thinking of uh, Apple HyperCard. And, well, that, that's it's, it's pretty hard to beat, beat that. And that was, uh, that was a revelation for me and many other people. And, you know, it's still, you know, it's, there's not much around which is quite like that. Yes, indeed. So in, in terms of communicating, um, you know, how to present, how to communicate. So you've distilled your ideas, you've brought those together. So what are the tools or approaches for communicating be the beyond articles in terms of visual presentation or other tools for designing information and sharing and communicating effectively? I think that on this front, uh, one aspect that has eluded most of the writers uh, has been the information design side. I mean, we've taken for granted that by understanding a topic or having some insights into it, we just need to put it black and white on paper and the rest happens automatically. I value very much instead how that information is shared. Uh, I mean... You could think until now about, for example, the difference between somebody who just wrote text and somebody who would illustrate some of that text. Okay, that's level one. 
But if you want to go to level two, three, four, five and beyond, what do you do? Well, I think you have to understand what information design is and understand how people read information online, offline, in print, on a screen, because that changes a lot how it would be appropriate to present and structure that information. So, for example, uh, we take for granted that writing the way we write a book and writing uh, the way we write a guide is pretty similar. I don't think so. I don't think it should be that way. Uh, print has very strict limitations uh, on the economic side of the materials. On the paper you use, how many pages, the weight and the cost that it's gonna derive. You don't have that issue online. That should be, should have been evident since the dawn of times so of the digital era, but we have forgotten it. So we write many times like we were writing on a book. We have wall of text. Uh, uh, we have little ways to jump from one place to another or see connections that are taking place in certain points. Uh, um, most of it, we have very little knowledge of how people read and how their eyes move on a digital screen. Uh, we have this F pattern that is very important to understand that is whenever we see something new that is based on text, we read across the first couple of lines and then we just look across the left margin to find points uh, that may be of interest to us. So the elements of chunking are very important. That is, chunking is to break up in many little pieces, whatever you're writing. Never have a wall of text even of five or six lines together. Break it up, break it up, break it up. And then when you start to breaking it up, you break it up in chapters, subchapters, and these chapters and subchapters have very specific titles. And these titles to be read on a digital screen need to be short and to the point. You can write a title of six, seven, eight words and expect that to be something digitally effective for the reader. It's just too long. You have to make titles that one can read at a glance. Yeah, I will see those two, three, four words and it will make sense of them in one swap. Prac! Instead, we still write where you really need to pay attention to the single words. We have long paragraphs of text. We don't help the eye catch the key points on the left margin where you can pick up. For example, the uh, tradition of bolding text uh, inside paragraphs of text is very widely used, but that really creates uh, all in the digital ecosystem and context more confusion to the eye because it, it, there's already so much text generally. Uh, you don't have the physical page that limits you to a frame. So you have a lot of stuff to jump uh, in and out of. The bolding can be used in a totally innovative way inside the digital screen by placing it only near the left margin, that is only in the beginning words of certain paragraphs, so that the eye can hook onto them uh, and discover important points. Um, one other thing that we often forget on the web is line length. Uh, that is how long a line needs to be for people to decide to keep reading for the next two, three, four, five, six lines afterwards. 
And that makes a big difference because if you have a line that is short, typically like it would be on medium, uh, then you will read and keep on reading. But if you buy a template, a theme, or start publishing today in WordPress, you won't get the short line, which is about 10 to 12 words per line. You will get a line that goes from the left margin of your screen to the right margin of your screen, no matter how large is your screen. And if you have a 25 inch in screen, you will have these immense lines. How can people read it? Uh, these simple things escape us. And these simple things are what I call information design. Who do you look up to, to learn about information design? I think the absolute authorities in this field are a mix of people I simply adore. And these are uh, Edward Tufte, Jacob Nielsen, and a little known lady called Karen Shriver, who wrote a book that's called uh, Document Design, uh, which all provide very different angles in understanding better how to present information so that people can read it. No, that's fantastic. There's a lot of, lot of value and insights you've packed into that. So to round out, I mean, may, maybe reiterating some of the things you've said or anything new, just what are a few recommendations you would make to somebody that says, I'm overloaded, how can I thrive? Oh, yes, I do have a lot of recommendations for that guy and that girl. And these are to now take into very serious consideration um, deep change in habits uh, that could be titled kill distractions altogether. So I've gone through this in my life with very specific actions. Uh, and they have started at the time when for the first time, I think it was the eighties, we, we didn't have smartphones. Uh, we didn't have cell phones. We had something in Italy it was called Teledrine. It was this little box you put on your belt a and told you somebody's looking for you, go call this number. That gave me a hint that I could be freed for this pressure of, you know, somebody ringing you in the middle of something. So as soon as those disappeared gradually, I went into a mode of considering to put away the telephone altogether and gradually, bit by bit, I did. So although this is very radical and I think most people will not accept it, I have eliminated the telephone from my life. Nobody, almost nobody, will ring my phone because they know I will not answer. And when they ring and there is no answer and they complain, I tell them the story. I tell them that I have decided to put my phone not only on vibration, but not to hold it anymore on my body at any time during the day. So at certain times during the day, I go check my phone. Somebody has rung me, somebody has sent me a message, somebody more educated has sent me a request to talk to me. When do I have time? Can we set a time? And then when we do that educated thing, I'm very happy to talk to anybody over the phone or any other technology, but I'm not willing anymore in my life to have a little plastic box ring and interrupt whatever I'm doing. That is number one. Number two, I've decided to separate as much as possible work from distraction. And that at a certain age, maybe home, family, or places where there are a lot of noise and a lot of distractions. Well, you know, if you go into those places or if you decide to establish your focus point there, you're lost. That's not going to help you very much. You're not going to find a lot of motivation. I have eliminated the watch from my 
arms. I've it's in front of me when I watch the digital screen at all times, but it's just better not to be uh, having to watch that wrist anymore for me. I I also think that to improve that situation, one key thing is to introduce more life. That means I used to spend most of the day in front of the digital screen uh, I now have reduced without having reduced my profits, revenue, business opportunities, my time in front of the computer and have increased drastically my life uh, outside uh, near palm trees, under blue skies, in the water, running, playing frisbee, volleyball, meeting new people, playing music. I have uh, gone back to my first career, which was one of a DJ, which I started when I was 14 in a professional way. And now it's again part of my life. It's not part of my professional serious life, but it does recharge my batteries a hell a lot better than anything else that I used to do when I was sitting in front of my screen before. So turning off all notifications, all of them, all of them, there is no notifications coming on my computer screen or on my smartphone are all essential elements. So to kill all of the distractions to me is the key to focus and to be able to conduct good work like less and less people are doing because they're all on Instagram, TikTok and being distracted by dling, dlong, dlong and all these noises. I, I just can't respect them anymore. Um, I'm sorry. I find living life in that way wasted. That's uh, how I feel. But there is a big preoccupation. Let me jump to another topic because you may not be asking me about this. And there is a topic about information and me maybe relates also to information over overload that is close to my heart and needs to have more attention from everybody in general. And that is, since I'm now 24, being now almost 30, I... <laughs> I, I start to have worries for things that I didn't have worries 10 or 20 years ago. And that is mainly what's going to happen to all the work that I've published when I'm not here anymore or when I don't have the money to pay the server, the hosting provider. We're overloaded information, but nobody is worrying about all the information we're losing every day. Great stuff, great articles, great blogs, great website. They just disappears. You may say, oh, but there is the Internet Archive. Yeah, but for, for how long and for really all the pages that are out there? No, it's not for all the pages that are out there. And we don't know for how long and what interests are behind the Internet Archive. We, we should need two or three of those uh, different ones done in different ways. So I think... I don't see nobody taking in serious consideration how we can keep this cultural heritage that we have developed in the last 22 years by writing online. Where is all this stuff going to go? Who's going to keep it there? Uh, you don't have to die. You just have to be in trouble in some way or lose your mind in some way. And that stuff is just going to disappear completely. So I think this needs some attention to it because no matter how much 
superficiality we put out there, there is a lot of little golden gems out there, billions. Rare, hard to find, but there are. And I'm keen to find ways and help people reflect on the importance of not losing this stuff. So if you can transform it into a book, whatever you've written, it's a good bloody idea to do that. Because that book for now has a longer lifetime than anything you write online. Number two, I don't know how you're going to take this, but are you sure you want to write on your own blog or website? Because that's the first that's going to go away. Not if you have written on how, doesn't matter how much you hate it on Facebook or Instagram or Medium for that matter. The stuff you've written on this other platform is going to last much longer than whatever you write on your own blog post, unless you've written a testament and instructing your kids or your best friend to take over when you suddenly disappear and they don't know any of the passwords and that stuff is just going to go. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, we do. It's partly how evanescent do we have creating content for now or to what degree are we content for the future? And I think it is different. You know, sometimes some content we are creating for now and some content we are creating for the longer future. And so we have hopefully different strategies for that. But it's time to wrap up. So I think it's a good, good place to end there. So just where can people find your current work? Where's the best place to find uh, your, your work? Robingood.substack.com is the best place to see what I'm following, reading, selecting, and sharing with others. I think that's the best destination you can go to. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time and your insights, Robin. That's been a, a fascinating conversation. Thank you, Ross, for inviting me. It's been such an, an honor and a pleasure to be discussing with you again. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And good luck for the book. Uh, the title is, uh, how would I say, is uh, conflicting in some way, but that strikes as a possibility to increase my interest to see what you have written inside. I have to say that is my desire. Fantastic. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Ross. Thank you for listening to the show. If you want more resources to help you thrive in a world of exponential information, go to thrivingonoverload.com, where you can find all podcast episodes, transcripts, show notes, excerpts from my book, Thriving on Overload, the Thriving on Overload interactive course, and a trove of other useful content and resources, including a weekly Tips for Thriving newsletter to keep across it all. If you like this episode, please do help us be found by giving us a rating or review and subscribe if you'd like to hear more. This is Ross Dawson. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day.